Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks. We give you this thanks to praise you. We give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you speak to us uh, through it and in so many ways. God, guide us uh, that we may be faithful in our task. In Jesus' most holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good evening, friends, and welcome uh, to another fun-filled edition of Scripture Talk. Um, I am Pastor Trey Comstock. With me as ever is Go Brandy. Sister Brandy Dudley, good evening, everybody. Go Scott. Pastor Scott, glad to be with you. And go Stacy. I am Iron Man. No, no, it's you got to pace it right. It is, and I am Iron Man. Oh, that's taking <laughs> the Black Sabbath, not the. You know, anyway, I know, but no, it's just you know his uh, the, the delivery there at the end of uh, at the end of Endgame. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, spoilers for the end of a movie that came out over a year ago. Um, I am Iron Man. I am inevitable. Yeah, okay. And I am Iron Man. Um, anyways, this this is not our. Um, oh, uh, by the way, culture. by the by the way, to uh, interrupt, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for all your prayers out there, guys, for my mom. Um, it's just a kind of a wait and see thing now. Uh, the next three weeks about for numbers fluctuate or not so we'll, we'll find it but, but yeah, thank we'll, you and please continue praying for her I yeah we'll it. definitely continue to be praying for her um and yeah this is not this is not perhaps our uh, pop culture focused podcast uh, we have not made that podcast yet um uh, although you know <laughs> if covid goes on too much longer and we keep having to uh to mine the well for content uh maybe we should launch a pop culture focused podcast uh but no this is a scripture talk um our opportunity um every week to gather together um, to talk about uh, the scripture that we're going to be preaching on and uh, start to see what it has for us. And our scripture reading uh, this week is Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. It is kind of the end. Um, it is one of the last shots of Deuteronomy. Um, as we get, it is the last shot of Deuteronomy, as we get uh, the death of Moses. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab uh, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pishka, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead, as far as Dan, all of Nephtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will, I will give it to your descendants. And I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there, um, excuse me, died there in the land of Moab, at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab, off opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired, and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plain of Moab for 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, because Moses had laid his hands on him. And the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since, never since has arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequal for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, 
and all his servants, and his entire land, and for the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Now, this is somewhat, you know, Moses' send-off happens somewhat disconnected from the rest of Moses' story, right? The rest of Moses' story is largely told in Exodus. Um, And here we are in Deuteronomy, which is viewed as which presents itself certainly as the law, the other parts of the law of Moses dictated by Moses, and then ends with this scene um, of of Moses' death, and it does end with this tagline that says Moses was great and Moses was wonderful and Moses was like the best prophet. But we also have to keep in sight that even Moses, the great, the best prophet, the the one that was unlike any prophet before or since. He doesn't get to enter the promised land. And he doesn't get to enter the promised land um, because of the places that he falls short. And so you get this kind of weird dual image, this kind of weird, bittersweet image of Moses, the best prophet, uh, Moses who did the most for God, Moses who had the most direct relationship, in some ways had the most direct earthly relationship with God other than like, Adam and Eve before, um, and Jesus after. No one else was as close to God um, as Moses was. And yet even he uh, falls short in his own way um, and pays the price for falling short in his own way. See, I always struggle with this because I feel sorry for Moses. He put up with those hard-headed people for so long, and this is what he gets at the end, even though God is still merciful and letting him be able to see the promised land. If that was me, that'd be good enough for me just to see it and know that it exists and his promises remain steadfast. But I felt sorry for Moses, even though he screwed up. He should yeah. have had a chance to get his foot at least in the promised land. Yeah, I mean, again, it is it is very much his life's work. And he, he doesn't get to be the one uh, to bring to completion his life's work. He... He, he dies there um, in sight of it, uh, knowing essentially that the people had made it safely there, uh, but he does not get to uh, live the fruits of it, um, only get to see only to get to see the work to completion, uh, but but not benefit from that. Um, it is. I mean, it's a really Deuteronomy ends with this really poignant image. Um, he gets to see it, but he does not get to enter. You know, it really. Uh points to the fact that with great power comes great responsibility but because it seems it seems that out of all the different things one little thing and he's out of there you know as far as that but when you look at how close he was supposed to be to God what his role was how much he was that intermediator and speaking for God it was very important for him to do things exactly the way God said you know and so that's what got him. Now, there's always been something interesting in this aspect of this story that's going to probably take us a little off topic, but I've always found it interesting. So the way it words it, you know, because it talks about he was still keen of vision and strong and all of that. And then he just... At 120. At 120. But then he just dies. But Uh it doesn't really say, does he... It gives the implication that he died right then, immediately. But because it talks about you see afterwards them mourning his death, you know, it, you know, um, earlier when I was younger, it's been a while since I'd read through. That's I kind of had the idea that he got left there and they went off, you know, 
on their own and he just kind of stayed there until he died. But no, a, re- a rereading of it, you know, the, this week, it's like, you know, no, it, it doesn't. It seems to have an immediacy, like kind of, uh, you know, okay, well, I'm taking you now, so get ready. Well, so I, this is, this is I, you know, uh, the host of Mythbusters, Grant Imahara, um, died uh, a couple of months ago. Um, yeah. Grant Imahara was not an old man. I don't think he was even 50 yet. Um, and he just died of a brain aneurysm um, and went. And so sometimes that happens. Right? Yeah, where you know people who are you know that's the the, the scary the scary thing about brain aneurysms um, is you know you don't know they're there they don't know you don't know they're there and then you're gone. Um, so yeah, so I, that, that's always my vision of it is like you know there really are people who are just fit and full of whatever unblemished in mind whatever it is unimpaired. Um, his sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. Um, yeah. and in the next shot he's gone. Um. Now he had made it 120 years, and so he certainly got a decent season. Right, um, and and he got to see, and he got to see his life's work brought at least very close to completion. Knowing that his task is done, um, can often I have you know I, I think uh, this happens in in our world now too, where people who have brought their life's work to an end, um, and then you know, don't last much longer. Right, you, there is this kind of uncomfortable realization. I did do this study of presidential leadership for some leadership program I was in. And there's this great book by Doris Kearns Goodwin um, called Leadership that looks at like six different presidents across history. Um, and the uh, and one of them, Lincoln, gets assassinated. Uh, but for the ones that didn't get assassinated, um, they didn't live much into their 70s. Um, a lot of them died in their like Shortly after they got out of office, you know, George H.W. Bush who, or, and Jimmy Carter, George H.W. Bush, who passed away recently, Jimmy Carter, who is still on trucking, is the, are the absolute exceptions uh, to the normal rule of uh, presidents tend to die young um, because their life's work's done, right? You've spent your whole life trying to arise to that high office, um, and then the work of that high office can be exhausting, much like Moses, and then you finish your work, and, like... You, your body lets go. Uh, and so I, I, I can absolutely believe, you know, Moses gets them to the edge of that promised land. God tells them it's its time. And then he goes. Uh, but yeah, it is not, it is not left to die there alone on a rock. It is, he dies, is mourned, and then they cross in. Yeah. Okay, so I have a, maybe a stupid question then. Um, Moses dies, does he go to heaven? Or, I mean... Well, again... We don't know the exact logistics of the whens and wheres, but short answer is yes, probably. Um, scripture does not have a definitive answer to that. Um, we know is you know if you if you want a real slightly too in depth well, God is... book of Revelations, um, there is this like assembled from the tribe of Israel there as part of the army of God. So presumably Moses is in that number. Yes. Mm. Do we, we, know we do sure? have the. Go I was going to say we do have the transfiguration that shows yes. at least Moses and Elijah uh, hanging out there with Jesus on the top of the mountain, and so yep. that that right. that bodes well for him that he. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> not to mention, I would hate to think about. Again, granted, it, it, it is this is a good example of why we keep saying it's grace; it's not works based, but yet looking at it, I would hate to think someone that uh 
was as close to God as Moses didn't make it because then I'm really out of there. Uh, but again, yeah. it's all because of grace. It's, it's grace. not works. Well, that was and so, yeah. that, uh, but um, an interesting thing though, uh, that, that gets played up, you know, there in Jude, there's an interesting little uh, comment uh, about um, Satan and the Archangel Michael getting in an argument over the body of Moses, which is a, uh, a hint toward uh, the book of Enoch, I, I believe. And it's just a, yes. one or two sentence there in uh, Jude that kind of makes you go, what were they going to do with this poor body? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, nobody knows where he's buried. God himself buried yeah. Moses. Yeah, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? I like that. Well, I, and I think that is one of the one of the key kind of big picture things that's happening in Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy is definitely a book that wants to settle like Israelite life around a version of the faith focused on the temple, focused on the law. And so part of, I think, of what is happening with the unknown place of burial of Moses is do not make your pilgrimage looking for the looking for the grave of Moses. You're right. never going to find it. If you're going to make your pilgrimage, make your pilgrimage to the temple where God is. Um, Moses is a mighty vessel for God, yes, but Moses is just a vessel for God. Um, Moses is not himself God or the son of God um, or in any way a deity. He is a good prophet. He is the best prophet, um, but he's merely a prophet. And so I wonder, I, I've, I've wondered about that detail too. Why, you know, scripture doesn't have a lot of room for excess words. Why is that detail mm -hmm. there? I wonder if it's a reminder, don't go looking for Moses' body. Worship at the temple where things matter. Well, think about this. God buried Moses, but raised Christ from the dead. Right. And again, part of part of that what the passing of the covenant. Yeah. Right. Well, part right. Of what the New Testament writers want you to do is they want you to see glimpses of Moses in Christ. Right. Christ, is, you know, depending on the gospel you're reading, Christ is like Moses, but more so. Christ is like Elijah, but more so. Christ is like David, but more so, right? It's often, right, because you think of Christ's birth. The story of Christ's birth is a birth in peril. What other great prophet was born with a birth very much in peril? In, in, in peril? Moses. Moses. Yeah, right? Moses. Mm -hmm. Moses gets floated on the wicker basket. The other interesting is the symmetry, right? Moses goes from Egypt to the Holy Land. Where does Christ go? Right after he's born. From the Egypt. From the Holy Land. Then to, to Egypt. Egypt yeah. And back again. Right? Yeah. And so Christ makes the same journey as Moses as well. Um, going from Egypt to back to the Promised Land. Uh, so certainly um, one of the exclamation points that gets made in how we talk about Jesus, the analogy that is drawn to help people understand who Jesus is, the way God works in the story of Christ's life is to say, hey, remember Moses? Yeah, you know, he's pretty rad. Christ is like that, but even more so. Christ isn't just a great prophet. Christ is literally the word of God. Christ needs no prophet. Christ is himself the word that would speak through the prophet. See, this almost reminds me of Star Wars a little bit. Like, 
you know, like Moses is Obi-Wan Kenobi and like, you know, Jesus is like Luke Skywalker. And... No, if, if you're going to do, if, if you're going to draw that analogy, John the Baptist is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. John the yeah, Baptist yeah. is the one that does the literal training of Jesus. Um, John the Baptist, right, like, right. you know, John the Baptist is the, like the one who, and who passes the torch, you know, quite literally, you know, passes passes the work on to Jesus at, at the baptism. Like if that's the anal- if that's the analogy you're looking for. Now, the age difference isn't perfect. Yeah. Um, John the Baptist would not have been significantly older than Jesus. He is less than 9 months older than Jesus. Or even mm-hmm. keeping it into the context of where we're at with uh, Moses and then passing it on to Joshua. Right. Right. You know? And Jesus would have to be way obviously one of those that, you know, was, you know, created the force. Right, but, but yeah. uh, I, I guess that is, that is a it. more direct analogy and gets to the age gap, right? God, Where, God would be the force, though, right? Yes, sure, and 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 like if you look at the way, um, uh, certainly in the original movies, where it goes in the prequels with the Metaclorians, God so help much. us all. Um, but certainly George Lucas uses the way people talk about the Holy Spirit to give language to his understanding of what the force is, mm-hmm. right? Um, it is the thing that surrounds us and binds the universe together. That is literally a description of the Holy Spirit. Um, and pulling directly from language often used to describe the Holy Spirit, just taken into a sci-fi context. And, and so, uh, to a, a rapidly secularizing America, sometimes pulling <laughs> Star Wars into the conversation is helpful <laughs> Uh, because, yeah, no, George Lucas pulls upon a lot of Christian imagery uh, to construct his his pseudo-religion, right? Um, right. Just like the robes of Jedi are somewhere between, you know, samurai and monks, right? They are supposed mm-hmm. to be warrior monks, and their outfits look like it. Great brother right. Jesus, you right. must. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but so... In this story, though, we do see, you know, obviously the ending of one era and the beginning of another. And I, and I liked what you were saying to, to segue back to about the uh, importance of the Lord buried Moses and why we don't know where he is, is, I mean, well, we already saw how quickly with the delay, you know, previously that they ran to creating idols. They, they struggled with this needing to see something. Yes. And and so now they've lost the one who was their visual mediator between God and Moses. I mean, between uh, God and the children of Israel, Moses. And so, yeah, I, I don't, Moses had to die for Joshua's ministry to go forward. There was no way he would have had authority with Moses still around, really, I don't think, because the people would keep turning back to Moses. Well, and I think it's actually even bigger than that, right? Moses had to die to keep worship focused on God. Yeah. Rather than on Moses. Uh, This is, like, the the danger... Like, inspirational leaders are great. Inspirational leaders can also be dangerous. um, Particularly in a religious context. Because the question always is going to hang in there, who are you worshiping? Are you worshiping God? Mm -hmm. Or are you worshiping this inspirational figure? And what we see here is like made visible in the lives of Moses and Joshua that human leaders come and go. What matters is the worship of God. Yeah. And that 
we do not worship and follow a leader. Worship, we, we worship God, and we certainly, God uses leaders as a religious leader. I'd like to think God uses us, certainly. <laughs> um, but I also know, and am often thankful, that this is not about me. And, uh, you know, honestly, this gets to a piece of method, like hard, like hard encoded Methodist theology of why pastors itinerate. Right, like, why do pa- why do periodically Methodist pastors get told to pack up their stuff and go, uh, but not by the that happens by the church, but even when everything is going well, um, which thankfully has always been my experience of this, um, uh, things have been going fine, and someone tells me it's time to go, uh, is so that the church doesn't become about me, not that it would, but like there's the risk, right? Like when a pastor, yeah. one of my, and I don't know why it always comes back to Joel Osteen for me. But um, it does. Um, I won't just hit Osteen in this. Um, at one point, uh, or it may still, it is the logo says Lakewood Church, a Joel Osteen ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. It's a ministry of God, right? And we're the caretaker. Um, the other one is, uh, so, and I'm forgetting his name, I guess, thankfully. The guy who runs Second Baptist Church in Houston. They have like, 1600 campuses and at one point owned a helicopter right like it he has been the pastor of that church he is like the figurehead and it sometimes feels like the church when you do that the church becomes about you this is why i never want my face on a billboard it's why i don't actually even want my name on the sign if you notice my name is not on the church sign it is on our Facebook page is like listed as key staff and on our website is listed as pastor. Like, it's not like I want to hide the fact that I'm the pastor of this church, but part of why we itinerate, why we move pastors periodically is so that, that we make clear that this is about the worship of God and about us all working together in the service of God and not about a particular pastor and their specific ministry. We'll see well, if you, re- if you remember Trey, when I first came to the church, um, we ran into that issue. Me and you sat down and talked, and I went, oh, if you ever go, I'm out of here. That's- and, you know, you had to make me understand, look, this is what happens, and this is the purpose. And sooner or later, I am going to go, but you're mm-hmm. not, not, don't worship me. Worship the Lord. Right. Just be glad that you're here, and you're good at being a vessel for the Lord. Right. And But it's someday there will be someone else in that chair. And that's and, and as is set up here in Deuteronomy, like that's a natural and healthy part of the religious life is the handover of leadership in part so that we worship God and not Moses or worship yeah. God. But I got not, a question though. Uh-huh. I got a question. Now Moses had a son, Eleazar. Uh-huh. How come it wasn't passed to him because instead of Joshua? Because it's about who God blesses, not about who's equipped, about who's ready. Not about some sort mm-hmm. of artificial heredity, right? Um, so, so, some of it was uh, tied to Joshua's willingness to stand in front of everyone else and say, no, we can do this. His eagerness to follow there when they went as spies into the land and uh, everyone else come back as naysayers. Uh, Joshua and Caleb were the ones who uh, stood fast and were ready to go in. And, and uh, part of it is a blessing for their uh, willingness and obedience there as well. You know, it, it is that, and, it, mm-hmm. and like it bears fruit, right? Joshua turns out to be the right guy, mm-hmm. right? Of, of Again, when we did this, we did, I don't know, a, a million years ago, last year, we did speed, we speed dated the Old Testament, right? 
And when we encounter Joshua, you got to realize Joshua is one of the least complicated figures in the entire Old Testament, right? He's just straight up faithful. Where so many of our Old Testament, and it's one of the things I love about the Old Testament is how realistic these people are. But one of the few people that walks out of there looking pretty good, it's like what? It's Joshua, it's Joseph, it's Josiah. They're all J names. Um, uh, But like there's not that many people who do as well in the Old Testament as Joshua does. Deborah, Deborah's one that walks away. There's a a woman and a not D name, uh, and a not J name that walks away unscathed. But like, Joshua is just is an uncomplicated guy. He's just a faithful servant of God, um, and his ministry bears fruit. And so, again, it is about. I guess some of this is also an, like God's going to bless and equip who God needs, um, rather than some sort of artificial human construct like the heredity of leadership. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Remember, God. If you think about how God constructs the monarchy, God doesn't love the idea, right? Yeah. Um, God, you know, the Old Testament is full of, like, God going, I don't really want y'all to have a king. I would much rather be directly in charge of this thing. But y'all seem to really want a king. So, like, here you go. Here's an earthly king. But I'm going to keep talking mainly through the prophet, who is not a hereditary position. Um, Although a lot of them kept getting named Isaiah. um, Three of them. (laughs) Um, There are three Isaiahs. Um, and, And so God is... God is ambivalent on a lot of that humans on a lot of that human stuff about like the hereditary this or this is God wants to bless who and call who God wants to call uh, rather than you know often who we think they should call right or why else would the son of would son of God God among us come as an itinerant carpenter right, right? and why not come as an emperor <laughs> and you know when you look at in the natural how a lot of that uh, transpires when. Uh, a ministry is tied up into one individual so much and then that individual passes or whatever so often the ministry dies along with him right you know, there was a uh, up toward uh, uh lake palestine you know there was a large ministry up there uh, with brother shambach and it was very vibrant and uh god did a lot of stuff through uh, i'm not downing anything brother shambach sure, was yeah. used and moved by god and um, but when he passed, ultimately that that building became vacant and everything went along. Uh, you you look at Billy Graham and his legacy. Uh, Franklin Graham is still, you know, moving forward, but it doesn't seem to have the same deal. And Franklin himself is having to fight the shadow of his uh, dad. Yeah, which is and, tough. Yeah, and so. Daddy. Well, and and I, I I certainly have seen that in my own ministry. My job is often. Um, is always to follow somebody, right? Um, and so, and, and often to do kind of church turnaround work. I kind of get um, a, a reputation as for doing that kind of work. You're the and cleaner. So often, yeah, something like that. Um, and a lot of times I will arrive, even before I was a pastor, arrive at a, at a church. And one of the things that makes me the most sad when I arrive at a church is churches are often full of the wreckages of someone else's great idea that couldn't get carried on, whether it was a pastor or a longtime leader or whatever, that whenever that person driving whatever that thing was stepped away, passed away, moved away, that ministry dies. Mm. And so one of my, like, uh, one of, one of my obsessions as a pastor is sustainability 
um, to build teams around stuff so that when it is my time to go, and I don't mean in the death sense, although I guess, you know, as we've talked about, any of us could go at any time. Um, when it's time for me to get moved along, the really important stuff sticks around. Um, at Lexington UMC, where I was before here, um, it was really clear to me that a contemporary service needed to happen for that church. That church needed a contemporary service. That was the, that was the, mis- it was a, it was a relatively healthy church, but they'd just taken on a huge responsibility. They built this fabulous new building, but that fabulous new building needed to bear fruit for that church quick, or it was going to become a financial boat anchor. Uh, buildings are uh, double-edged swords. Um, friends. Um, especially when you do it with debt. And so there needed to be a contemporary service, but I didn't launch a contemporary service right away when I got there. I waited for a whole bunch of church leaders to tell me that there needed to be a contemporary service and that they were willing to help make it happen. And then we launched a contemporary service. And that contemporary service is now equal in size to the traditional service um, and still going at that church many years later and is the engine for growth at that place. Um, But it came, I waited for it to come from within the congregation and for me to be able to build a team around it, some of whom still work on that service uh, before I was going to launch it. Because it was just me saying, we need a contemporary service. Um, that church had tried that before, and that contemporary service hadn't lasted into the next pastor. And so that's mm-hmm. not a sustainable way to build. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, to kind of take it back just slightly, we were talking about uh, worshiping um, like Moses and things like that. Why does the Catholic Church tend to worship mary so more than what they would so i they would disagree with your characterization of this right and this is where we get in trouble of like where we talk out of our depth and that's not my world right um i have a f- reason for not being a catholic i have an okay understanding of catholic theology so if there are catholics live on the line with us please jump in and back when i used to do the radio show with bob there was a catholic who would call in um, and would gladly correct me um what they would say is mary they know mary is in heaven and mary can advocate on your behalf to god that's what they would say that's the same deal with the saints um and so they wouldn't say they worship mary Mm -hmm. they would say they honor mary um as one who is in heaven and as one who can intercede on your behalf to God, right? That's the role the saints play, um, and Mary included, is that it's like other people are in heaven. How you become a saint is they know you're in heaven. Um, because remember, Catholics have three levels where Protestants have two. Catholics have hell um, and purgatory and heaven, um, whereas Protestants have some version of hell. We don't all agree about what that means. Um, and some version of heaven and being Protestants, we don't necessarily agree what that means either. <laughs> um, and so for the Catholics, again, this is my understanding. I'm talking somewhat out of my depth. Um, is that the saints are just, the saints and Mary are just people they know to be in heaven. Um, and so they celebrate them. They celebrate their legacies and they pray to them um, as a way to inter- for them to intercede on their behalf with God. In the same way that they... I can vouch for that. In the same way that they... So in Catholic theology generally, you don't necessarily have a direct relationship with God. You have more of an indirect relationship with God. You talk to God through somebody, whether it is an earthly priest, hence confession, etc., 
um, or a, a heavenly saint. Um, it is just a different understanding of how you communicate with God. So they would not say, they would tell you they are monotheistic um, in the same way that we are and get very offended when, we apply, when someone implies that they're not. Um, they find that those implications very offensive. Right. Um, and, and pardon me out there if I'm offending any Catholic. No, no, no. Well, your, 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 your question is well meant. Um, well, I have a Catholic friend, hi Helen, that uh, told me a way to, to kind of clear this up. <clears throat> it's just like you ask your mother yeah, to, exactly. you know, to pray for you because Mary, we honor Mary as well in the Methodist Church as being the mother of Christ, no. but we don't go to the full extent like the Catholics do. But she told me that uh, they're, they're just asking Mary to pray with them or to help them to pray. And the saints are there to guide them along, but they still give all honor and praise to God. Now, the only thing that's different that they go through a priest to confess, to get to God, whatever, but they still have a relationship with him. They just have Mother Mary and the saints to be there to pray with them. So that's how I was told about that yeah it's just it is a slightly more indirect relationship um but it is still a relationship with god and they would say and you know and in some ways part of working in working among denominations and working ecumenically is we take people at their word right um that they worship god they just connect to god in a different way um by way of these people who they know to be in heaven because of their earthly example and because the miracles that have come about um through their work in heaven um, advocating on people's behalf. Um, okay. Cool. It it, uh, it just it looks really different, right? Yeah. Uh, it looks really different, and that's okay. Um, one of the things, you know, one of my one of my axes to grind as a theologian, and I guess I got a lot of them, is uh, let's and I I'm guilty of this too, not necessarily with the Catholics, um, but like. Um, let's not let our theological differences get in the way. Um, you know, um, but yeah, that's probably as good a place as any, uh, to bring this in, uh, for a landing. Uh, if you have feedback, uh, or if you are Catholic and would like to help us, um, help us, please. Um, you can leave a comment here. If you're watching on Facebook, watching on YouTube, uh, please just uh, read a comment. We read all of them. You can post a comment over on our website, uh, palestinegrace.com slash video. You can send us an email with your longer form thoughts, uh, gracechurchpalestine at gmail.com. Um, if you, um, are tired of looking at our face and would rather an audio only version of the show, uh, just, uh, search scripture talk by grace church in your podcatcher of choice. Um, but either way, we will be uh, back with another show, uh, next week. Um, if you are listening to this on the day we are recording, uh, that is Monday, the 19th of October, and you have free time tomorrow around 1230, we are getting another wave of pumpkins. Um, and pumpkins can are here. Unloading. Uh, so if you've got time, uh, but, uh, regardless of when you're uh, listening to this, uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Um, and fear not, stay well. God is with us. Amen. Wrong song. There we go. That right song. Now we dance. One of these days, I'm going to get that right. Doing the gonzo.